0: Let us bow our heads for prayer. Our most gracious Father in heaven, we come before you, awestruck by your majesty, by your glory and your power. We come into your presence, Lord, grateful for the opportunity to gather together this evening once again to participate in your worship. We thank you for this day which you have set apart, one in seven, given exclusively for your worship. We are grateful, Lord, that we can know you through your word and through this church we are able to sit under the preaching and teaching of your word, to have a day of feasting upon the word, and even to close out the day by sitting under your word being preached. We thank you, Lord, for how you have blessed this church and how you have continued to provide for it. We do not take for granted, Lord, for all the many blessings you have bestowed upon us as a church. We thank you, Lord, for you are a good God and you do good. We thank you, Lord, for you are the provider of all things and you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We thank you that you are the giver of life and breath, and that you have ordained a way of salvation for us through Jesus Christ alone. It is he that we proclaim, it is he that we declare in this place, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, continue to minister to us even through the preaching of your word. We bring before you the very uh, various needs that are represented here in this congregation. We think of Miss Wynne and we pray for her health as she has been unwell and has been feeling un- has been feeling weak we pray lord that you would strengthen her that she would know your presence even as she is frail in body and unwell but that you would strengthen her in the spirit that she may be encouraged from your word that she may be encouraged by those around her family and friends we pray for miss lawanda she cares for miss Wynne, and we pray that you would give her strength that you would protect her too, that you would give her wisdom and also help her to find rest. Continue to use her as she ministers to Miss Wynne at this point of need. We also remember Brother TJ and we are grateful that we're able to see him today. We do pray for him as he continues to go through therapy, awaiting uh, the MRI appointment. We pray that you would relieve him of pain as he feels pain after his therapy sessions. We pray, Lord, that you would grant him an appointment, that he would be able to have the MRI done and assist the doctors in making a decision on on the treatment going forward. We also remember Miss Louise, as she suffers and she's unwell in this time, Lord. We ask that you would grant her healing and rest and recovery from the sickness which she is dealing with at this time. Lord, we also remember those in our midst who are who are away for Thanksgiving and maybe visiting with family and friends in different parts of the country. We thank you for these blessed holidays and moments where we can stop and reflect upon your goodness unto us. And we pray for these family and families and friends as they may be making their way back to Jackson even, even this evening. We pray that you would grant them safety on the roads and you protect them and even for other family members and loved ones that may be leaving from Jackson headed back to their various homes. We ask that you would protect them and that they would find refreshment from this time of holiday and and spending time together as family. We also pray for the upcoming holidays as we enter into December and all the festivities that surround this month. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember the reason that we celebrate Christmas, and as we celebrate the Incarnation, we pray that uh, you would bless this series that is taking place here as we preach upon the Incarnation, and as we look at what you did through Jesus Christ as he came into this world, took on the human flesh and lived and died for us on the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to reflect upon these truths also grant us opportunities to share these truths with others who do not know you, that you would bring to yourself those who are unconverted, that you would bring them to this church to hear the word preached, and that through the preaching of your word you would save many. Lord, we do continue to pray for the leadership of this church. We thank you for Pastor Thomas and his leadership, and Lord, as he looks forward to a time of rest. We pray that you would help uh, him to carve out the time, to be able to have this time of rest, that you would uh, open up his schedule, that he may be able to have a time of rest and refreshment, that he may continue to labor faithfully in this work that you have given to him. We continue to remember our deacons and thank you for their faithful service in this church and all that they do behind the scenes, ensuring that um, the church continues to to do what it has called to do, to preach the gospel. We pray that you would bless them and their families and strengthen them in the work which you have called them to. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit that you would come and be with us. Be with me as I preach. Give me strength. Give me unction. Give me clarity of speech and thought and mind. But Be with the hearers under the preaching of my voice that you would Speak to them through the word proclaimed here this evening. And for any of those that may be streaming, we pray that you would also be with them at their, their various locations, that they may hear your word preached, and they may leave encouraged and edified. And we pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening will be in John and chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14 and verse 6. And uh, this is our sixth, I am saying, that we'll be looking at this evening uh, that Jesus makes there in John chapter 14 and verse 6. And as you're turning there, just a, a few points as we consider the context and, and where we are at at this point, uh, both in this series, but also in, uh, in this gospel account uh, by the Apostle John. Uh, so far, what we have seen is Jesus has uh, done his public ministry as he has been preaching and performing miracles uh, in larger gatherings to, to the public square, as it were. Uh, but in chapter 12, we do see a turn in the Gospel of John. We see a turn because Jesus now begins um, to just minister to his disciples. Uh, in John chapter 12, we read at the end that the, the Jews continue to reject him, and though he, continue, though he performed so many signs, so many miracles, uh, they rejected him in fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet had said. Uh, they reject Jesus, and their hearts were hardened, their eyes were blinded. And then after that, uh, we see that Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover feast, but ultimately uh, to die to, on the cross. And so this is the Jerusalem road. Uh, we see how he enters into Jerusalem. He is received as a king. Uh, but by, by, by the end, we see that these same people who were celebrating were standing and saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then in chapter 13, we, we read about the Passover feast that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And as, um, as he does that, we, we notice that he washes his disciples' feet, and uh, he tells his disciples that they too should follow the way he has uh, served them and loved them till the end. Uh, he has served them by washing their feet, but in a figurative sense he shows them how he as their Lord and Savior has served them in this way and how they too ought to serve those um, that they will minister to. And then in chapter 13 we also notice that Jesus uh, talks about Judas's, uh, Judas's betrayal and so he predicts what Jesus, Judas is going to do showing that it is in fulfillment of what was Spoken by the prophets. Uh, and, and hearing what um, and Jesus has to say, Peter, being zealous as usual, towards the end of chapter 13, uh, wants to follow and wants to, uh, he, he says he will lay down his life for Jesus. And then Jesus reminds or, or, or predicts to Peter that he too will deny Jesus three times. And that's what we see at the end of chapter 13. And so that's, that's what we have seen up until this point, coming up to chapter 14. The context is helpful because what we are going to be seeing in the next two and final uh, I am sayings is Jesus' discourse with his disciples. And the tone of the discourse that we find in these, uh, in these chapters, going from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 17, we see a very intimate tone as Jesus is addressing his own disciples. Uh, we see that he loved them till the end, and uh, the care that he had for his disciples, the words that he wants to leave them with are very significant. And we get the longest discourse uh, of the Gospels here in John's Gospel. As, he, as, as John uh, accounts for us, he writes down for us what Jesus said in, these, uh, going, in this farewell discourse. And so among other things, we see the statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 14 and verse 6, which we will be uh, considering in, a, in greater detail and, and towards the end of this discourse in chapter 16, verse 1, uh, we see Jesus kind of gives a purpose for this discourse that he has gone through with them, or he's telling them all these things. In John chapter 16 and verse 1, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And so after he has predicted what's going to happen to the disciples and they'll scatter, he's predicted Judas's uh, betrayal and Peter's denial, He wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them to keep on in his teaching and to keep on the ministry that they have been called to. So with that background, let's now read uh, from John chapter 14, and I'll read starting from verse 1 uh, all the way to verse 14. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Thus ends the reading of God's word. And so what we see here in chapter 14, uh, considering just some of the verses that we have read before we zero in on verse 6, uh, where we will spend the bulk of our time. What we see here in chapter 14 uh, is that Jesus is, is giving them these words of encouragement, as I've, I've, I've already mentioned. He tells them, let not your hearts be troubled, believe In me, believe in God and believe also in me. And then he talks about the fact that he is going to prepare a house for his disciples. He continues to teach them about his imminent death, burial, and resurrection. And so he encourages them about what is to lie ahead. And John elsewhere records about the fact that many of the teachings, many of the things that Jesus had spoken about, began to make sense to the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. After these things had taken place, they were able to look back and make sense of the teachings of Jesus. And so is the case with John the Apostle as he writes. as He writes with that perspective after the, the resurrection has taken place. And so what we, we notice here is after Jesus talks about the place that he is going to uh, go and prepare, it actually prompts three questions from his disciples. One of them uh, is by Thomas, as we have read in our, in, our, in our verses. And Thomas asks him, Lord, where? we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then later on we saw in, in verse 8, Philip says to him, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And we also read about Judas, we we're told not Iscariot, because he has left at this point. He too asks a, a further question uh, in verse 22. Jesus, uh, Judas said to him, "Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world?" And, and through these questions, and even as we look at Thomas's questions in question in particular, it is interesting to note that even at this point, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the disciples have not grasped who Jesus is and what He has come to do. We notice that here, though Jesus is speaking in a figurative sense, Uh, that he is going to the Father. He is going to prepare a place for them. Thomas totally misses uh, what Jesus is speaking about. He says in verse 5, as I already read, that he does not know where he's going. He's looking for like a road map. Can you give me a map to show me where you are going that we may follow? Uh, And Jesus says that you you already know the way. He had already said that to them. You know the way to where I am going in verse 4. And so in response, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this statement that we see is really profound. What Jesus has, has to say about himself in the sixth I am statement uh, really summarizes and encapsulates the message of John's gospel. And we have been seeing these themes develop throughout uh, the I am sayings and, and here towards the end of his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus is talking about himself as being the way, of salvation to the father. He speaks about the revelation that he is the divine revelation embodied in speaking of him being the truth. And he also speaks about him being the life. Uh, Derek already looked at last, last time he was up here that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But we're gonna see that not only is he the life to come, not only is he the eternal life uh, that is promised to those who believe, but also the meaning, the purpose of life for believers, that without Jesus Christ, we have no uh, purpose in our lives as Christians, as, in, as human beings, even more broadly speaking. And so what we find in this statement, as Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, is that we see Jesus Christ is sufficient. We see that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Because Jesus Christ is, has been revealed as the way to the Father. We need no other way of salvation. Because he is the truth, we need no further revelation. And because he is the life, we can see that there is no life apart from him. And so we're going to take time to just break down each of those uh, statements here that Jesus makes. Uh, What is the significance that he is the way, that the truth and the life and so in the first place, let us look at uh, the statement that he makes that he is the way. We want to see that because he is the way, we need no other way of salvation. Uh, Jesus in this statement, as we will notice in the second half, says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So after he makes this a positive assertion about being the way, the truth and the life, he then gives this prohibition that no one can come to the Father except through him. He is the only way that has been revealed to humanity, to mankind. And as we, as we look at this language that Jesus is using, we know that he is using figurative speech. He's using figurative language. Uh, because ordinarily, you would not speak at someone being the way. Uh, we talk about the way to get to a particular destination. But we notice here that the, the, the analogy Jesus is using, the figure of speech, Uh, as it were, that Jesus is using here is very significant. It is the way to God, the Father. And we know that God is a spirit. He does not have a body like man. It is not a physical place that is being spoken about, as as Thomas uh, uh, read him to say here. And so what we see, looking at the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about the way. They declared the way to Israel. They declared how they must repent from their sins and they must turn to Yahweh, they must believe uh, in, 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 in Jesus um, before, before he had even come. They were calling them to faithfulness to the law of God. But the prophets themselves were not proclaiming or were not claiming to be the way to the Father. They were declaring the way, they were giving instructions to the people, but Jesus Christ comes as the way himself. And the way that is being de- uh, described here um, is, is a speaking of a spiritual, is a spiritual nature uh, of, of the union that we have with Jesus Christ. Uh, what we notice is that he opens a way for us to approach God the Father. And as we, as we, as we consider this particular point here and we think about the Old Testament and how uh, they would have to uh, come into the tabernacle and the instructions that were given to them Uh, we we further appreciate the point that is being made here. And in in a little while, we will turn to Hebrews and and look at uh, what the author to the Hebrews has to tell us, has to remind us about what Jesus Christ has done in making a way to the Father. He has made a way where there was no other way. And so as we think about Jesus as the way to the Father, we want to think about how it is that Jesus has made this way. We, we know that he makes this way by laying down his life, by paying the price for our sins. By dying on the cross, he gives himself up as a propitiation for our sins. He pays the penalty that was due to us. And in so doing, he procures for us eternal life and salvation. And he, 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 he gives us the gift of being adopted into God's family. And so the construction that that John is using here, or or as he he tells us of Jesus' words, we show that we see the, the intimate nature of salvation that is being spoken about, the intimate and personal nature of salvation and how Jesus Christ is central. He is the only way. As we look at the articles, the, that appears here, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he says in the second part of the statement, there is no other way. And as we, as we think about the many world religions out there, we understand why such a statement, that we were to proclaim such a statement. Or if you were to go and put that up on social media, you can see why people would take offense. I'm a Muslim, so what are you saying about my way? I'm a Hindu. Um, I'm a Buddhist, what does that say about me and about my way? You can see why this would be offensive Because essentially, we are saying they are lost. They are on a path that leads to destruction. They are on a path that leads to death and eternal damnation. And that will be labeled as hate speech. But that is what we see here in Jesus' words that the way of salvation is through Christ alone. There is no other way to God the Father, and there is no other God. There is one God. Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to think more as, as we've seen this theme as Jesus has been talking and and his words are, are recorded throughout the gospel, we notice this personal aspect of salvation. It is not Jesus pointing to a way or giving us a list of requirements of what needs to be done or rituals that need to be performed in order for us to become Christians. But there's this personal and intimate Uh, Believing in Jesus Christ. That is how we are we are we are saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 6, verse 53, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And so we see the personal nature of this, what Jesus is using again. He's using a metaphor, but yet he uses this metaphor of eating and drinking to show that it is a personal faith. It is not something that we can can inherit by proximity. It is not something that we can inherit by doing the right things. But just as we cannot be filled by somebody eating our dinner or lunch, so too we cannot become saved unless we personally believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so this, this way that Jesus speaks about this Construction that we have here helps us to appreciate the personal nature, the intimate nature of what is happening as the way is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. And then we tie in with John chapter 10 and verse 9, which was the last time I preached was Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved he will be saved. So by believing in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, to be saved from the wrath of God, to be saved from the coming judgment, to be saved from eternal damnation. So we come to the Father through faith in Christ alone. If we looked at our confession of faith, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 8 and paragraph 5, It states, the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, and skipping forward, purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. So Jesus Christ purchased this salvation. He is the way because he lays down his life for us. He dies on the cross, he pays the penalty for our sins, and therefore, makes a way for us to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 says, For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Speaking of Jews and Gentiles, we have access to the Father through the Spirit. And so too in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into, his, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of glory of God. It is through Jesus Christ that we have access to the Father. In salvation, this is the only way to God the Father. But I, I alluded to Hebrews and chapter 9, and we'll turn there and just spend a few moments just looking at Hebrews and chapter 9. And in this chapter, we, we notice that the author to the Hebrews speaks about the old way of the tabernacle, and how the the high priest had to prepare prior to entering into the Holy of Holies. And he states there that the high priest, even the high priest himself, could only enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And he explains there, looking at verse 7 and going down, Hebrews chapter 9, he explains the preparation that was necessary But he he emphasizes that even the high priest only enters once a year. And then verse 8, By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. And then he goes on in the following verses and looks at, uh, he contrasts the old way how the high priest had to perform all these uh, rituals and how he had to prepare himself before he could enter into the Holy of Holies, where it was said that the presence of God dwelt uh, tabernacled with with, with man. And then we look in our verses that follow in verse 11 and following. Uh, he speaks about Jesus Christ. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tenth, he entered once for all into the holy places. And we see this when Jesus gives his life up on the cross. We see that curtain is divided into two. It is torn into two, signifying what the, what the work of Jesus Christ has accomplished. There is no longer a barrier We can all enter into the presence of God the Father, the holy God, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have access into the presence of God the Father. And then we see verse 15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that he is both the mediator, he is also the sacrifice. He is the way, while being the one who was laid down for us. Whereas in the old order of things, they would make sacrifices at the tabernacle, the high priest would sacrifice an animal at the at the altar to make uh, atonement for the sins of the people Jesus Christ himself is the high priest he is the sacrifice he is the way to God the Father and so as we as we read here in Hebrews it helps us to appreciate what Jesus has done he has made a way where there was no way and there is no longer a need for any other mediator except Jesus Christ he is the way to the Father He alone is the way to the Father. But turning over in Hebrews chapter 10, if we go to verse 20, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, it says, by the new and living way that has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And so we see through Jesus Christ this way that has been made, he himself being the way, he is the living way, our savior, our mediator, who has given himself for our sins. as we reflect upon how, yes, the tabernacle looked forward, foreshadowed what was to come in Jesus Christ, we see that the fulfillment of what the temple looked forward to has come in Christ. That God has come to dwell in us in Jesus Christ. And even as we were looking this morning at how uh, John records the fact that Jesus has come and tabernacled with us. This is what we, we think about. This is what we celebrate in this Advent series as we reflect upon the coming of God's Son who took on the human flesh and lived among us. But as we think about Jesus being the way to the Father, the only way to the Father, we should not only limit this aspect to our salvation. Yes, we are saved only through Jesus Christ. Yes, we come into the presence of God the Father The first time, as it were, by believing in Jesus Christ, by being washed in the blood of the Lamb, by being presented spotless and blameless before God the Father. But this is not a one-off event, brothers and sisters. This is not something that we enter in through Christ and then we graduate. But we see that Jesus is the only way to the Father, even in our ongoing Christian life, in our sanctification As we come before God the Father, we come in the name of Christ. We come through the mediator, the only mediator appointed. And so as we worship God, as we worship God the Father, we are to offer our worship through no other mediator appointed by man but Jesus Christ. And within a congregation like this, where we have mature believers and we might hear something like this and think, of course, I don't believe anything other than that. Of course, I, whenever I end my prayers, I pray in Jesus' name. It goes without saying. But we may want to think about some subtle ways in which we may fall into the trap of not coming to God the Father through the Son and his work on the cross. Are there ways that we... We look to our own achievements and our own holiness if there was such a thing, if there's holiness apart from Christ. If we think about our own good works and and whether we have um, kept up with attendance or we've kept up with service in the church, do we trust in those things when we come before God the Father and think that we find acceptance before God the Father because of those things that we do and not in what has been done through Jesus Christ? And so not only is Jesus the only way for us in salvation, but he is the way that we are to come before God the Father in our ongoing sanctification. In our Christian life, we ought to keep coming back to Jesus Christ and we ought to come before the Father because of the righteousness of Christ. This is not to say that we aren't to be growing in godliness and that we aren't to be growing in our faith and in our walk in obedience. But all of that should be based upon our faith in Jesus Christ. God is sovereign not only in saving us, he is sovereign in our sanctification. He continues to sanctify us and wash us and cleanse us by his word through his spirit. And so having considered here looking at Jesus as the way to the Father... We want to look at Jesus as the truth, we see that because He is the truth, we need no further revelation. And I, I would want to turn back to several points that Brad made this morning because it ties in so well with what is what is uh, we're going to be looking at this point, but perhaps it will suffice to say if you missed the sermon this morning, I' would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. as we think about Jesus being, God's divine revelation embodied. As Jesus Christ comes, the word becomes flesh and dwells within us, dwells among us. And so we see here in our world today where within a postmodern world, a postmodern society that despises absolute truth, it wants to do away with absolute truth and would rather hold to relative truth that each person has his own version of the truth And we do not proclaim absolute truth. And when we begin to do that, we have seen what kind of evil and immorality that this has resulted to. This is no surprise because as we look at Romans chapter 1, we see that the the truth has been twisted. The truth has been perverted. And so when we do away with the the truth of God, the truth as it is found in God's word, his word is truth. Truth. All of it is truth. And Jesus Christ has come. He is the word made flesh. He has come and dwelt among us. And so as we think about how our world rejects truth, we will see the importance for us to hold to the standard which the word of God has put forward for us. In John chapter 8 and verses 44 to 46, uh, Jesus in discuss, uh, speaking with The Pharisees there, John chapter 8, uh, verses 44 to 46, he says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we see this, this is something that we see throughout the scriptures right back in Genesis. We see that the first sin occurred because of the devil perverting the truth. Did God really say? We see this coming in right from the garden and the fall initiated at that particular point by doubting God's word, by doubting the truth that had been spoken to Adam. And so with this perversion, we we notice what Jesus is saying there in John chapter 8, Uh, verses 44 to 46, is that the devil operates by lies, but God's people are to be marked by the truth. God's people are to be marked by the truth, and so we see that those who are of God, those who believe in the truth, in Jesus Christ, are to be marked by the truth, are to live by the truth, and are to stand on the standard uh, proclaimed by the truth. And so we see the two two, uh, armies, as you would want to look at it, there's the way of truth and there's the way of lies. And there Jesus in John chapter 8 is telling the Pharisees that you speak lies. You speak your native tongue, which your father, the devil, speaks. And they didn't like that very much, as you would imagine. They were offended by what Jesus was saying, but he was speaking plainly. Because they too, though they, though they claimed to proclaim the word of God, and though they claimed to be keepers of the law, they were actually binding people binding people and sending them off to hell by believing that they were religious people, but they were actually being sent to utter destruction. And so we we come to this question, what is truth? What is truth? We we see that Pilate asks Jesus this question when he's on trial in John chapter 18 and verse 38. Uh, When Jesus says that I have come, in John chapter 18, um, he says, I have come, for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, "What is truth?" But before Jesus could answer, we see that Pilate goes back outside and he tells uh, he tells the Jews that he found no wrong. So he leaves us with this question: What is truth? Uh, when we want to answer what is truth well truth is that which conforms with reality in a basic sense that is what truth is it 's that which conforms to basic uh, conforms to reality and so if we 're thinking about it it is God is the creator of all things that nothing was created uh, apart from 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 through Jesus Christ himself and so if he is the creator of all things if he has made uh, all things that exist he has made this world then if we need to know anything about the world which has been created anything about ourselves anything about the fall of mankind we ought to turn to God's word that is the truth and what the word of God has to say is what conforms with reality it is interesting that as we are talking about the perversion of truth in our society today we see that people are able to promote all kinds of things as being true An easy one to go to is obviously these discussions about transgenderism and homosexuality. How can a person come out and say, I am a woman, when they were clearly born a man, or vice versa? These are things that we see are provisions of the truth. That does not conform to reality. That is not true, because that is not what the Word of God says. So when we are asking the question, what is truth? It is that which conforms to reality. And so what we see, uh, going back to John chapter 1 and verse 14, as we saw this morning, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is, is divine revelation incarnate. Jesus is divine, incarnate, divine revelation incarnate. He has come as the, as, the, as the embodiment of truth himself. He proclaims the way to the Father, the only way to the Father. And so as we consider, as we have already been looking at Jesus as the way, we've we've looked at him as the way, and as we think about Jesus as the truth, we see that he is the truth in that he declares that he is the only way to the Father. And we see how these statements are related together. To proclaim any other way of salvation, to proclaim any other way to the Father, would be a lie, would be a denial of the truth. And so what Jesus has come to do, as he told Pilate there in the verse that we just considered, is he has come to proclaim the truth. He has come to witness, bear witness to the truth. And even back in John chapter 1, uh, we we see the introduction uh, speaking about Jesus Christ being full of grace and truth. So not only does Jesus have truth, not only does Jesus speak truth, but he embodies truth himself. And that is quite a, an incredible concept for us to wrap our heads around. And so Jesus, uh, what Jesus has come to proclaim, he has come to teach us uh, the way of salvation. He has come, us, he's come to teach us how the Old Testament ought to be understood. With all the misinterpretations and more the misunderstandings that existed in his day, he declares the truth of God's word And he teaches the true meaning of God's word as he shows uh, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He shows them all the things concerning himself. Again, in John's gospel, he tells the Pharisees and the Jews that they search the scriptures that they may know the the, the way of salvation, but it is they that proclaim him. The Old Testament speaks about Jesus Christ. And though they have missed the Messiah when he came, Jesus makes it clear and plain. The Jews, and so as we as we consider continue to think about this particular topic, it is interesting to notice here in in John chapter fourteen and verse seventeen when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit whom he will send, uh, starting from verse sixteen. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive. And then again in verse 15 uh, in chapter 15 and verse 26, uh, similarly he speaks of the Holy Spirit, and he says, "When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth." It is interesting that the Holy Spirit here is spoken of the Spirit as being the spirit of truth. And in, in, um, in the epistles uh, uh, Paul, speaks about the Spirit of Christ, uh, which is at work in believers. And so we know that we serve a triune God, and when he's speaking about the triune God, uh, Jesus Christ here refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth who comes and dwells within us as believers. And so it's significant as we, significant as we think about our union with Jesus Christ. As we, as we become Christians, we are united, we are made one with Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. We are united with Jesus Christ and we are indwelt with this spirit of truth. And so we too, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to be people who promote, who proclaim the truth, the truth that is found in God's word. We are to declare it plainly, but we too are to bear witness to the truth. We are in no way like Jesus Christ, the God-man, but yet as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are witnesses to the truth. We are to point people to the truth of God's word, ultimately that there is no other way to the Father but through the Son, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so too, as we, as we think about even the Ten Commandments and as we are we are told not to bear false witness against our neighbor, we can think about the a myriad of applications that comes out of that, how we are to live as people of truth. Do we bear false witness in different ways in our lives? Or are we people who are seeking to live by the truth, whether that is in how we speak about our brothers or sisters, or whether that is in the way that we conduct ourselves in how we uh, live our lives in, in relation to the truth? Do we promote lies? Do we tolerate false testimony Do we tolerate gossip? These are things that we ought to be thinking about as people who are to be marked by truth. It's no surprise that Paul, in talking about the battle that we are to engage in, the spiritual battle, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. It's an essential element of our defensive uh, armor that we are to have in the spiritual battle. We are to stand upon the truth of God's word and we are to believe in God's truth as it is revealed through Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of truth itself. And just as we saw earlier on, not only do we come to believe in the truth in Jesus Christ, but we are sanctified by the truth. We are to grow in the Christian faith by the truth. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, when Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays to the Father and he says, Uh, In John chapter 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we to grow in godliness? How are we to grow in Christ-likeness? It is by being washed by the word, by sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word, by having daily fellowship with God in his word as we grow in Christ-likeness, as he shows us the areas in which we ought to grow and the, the things that we are to put off. We are to put off the old sinful nature and we are to put on Christ daily, living in the spirit and according to the word. But lastly, let us look at the fact that because he is the life, there is no life apart from him. Because Jesus is the life, there is no life apart from him. And we see that in our verse as Jesus uh, proclaims that he is uh, the way the truth and the life, the last uh, phrase to, for us to consider this evening, as we have seen in John chapter one, we notice that Jesus uh, through Jesus Christ were all things made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. similarly, in Colossians and chapter one verse sixteen, Paul says uh, about Jesus Christ that everything was created through him, things visible and invisible and uh, As we think about the creation, the act of creation, and how it was an act of the triune God, uh, that's a pin to uh, says Sunday school lesson that you can go and pick up. Uh, The work of creation is an activity of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in, 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 in bringing out this work of creation. And so life that is breathed out through God the life that is given uh, to humanity, the life that is given to this world, proceeds from the Father through the Son. It comes from the Father. And, and, and Jesus Christ, we see there in creation, John again, in John chapter 1, wants us to see that. But it's important to also notice the work of recreation. We, have, we know that death entered into the world through the fall and, and through the sin of one man. But through Jesus Christ, we have life. And what Jesus has done through his death on the cross, he has purchased for us eternal life. And we read in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is no life apart from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, And even when we were dead in our trespasses, we have been made alive in Christ. This is what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 5 tells us. We were previously dead. There is no life apart from Christ. Our our state, spiritually speaking, before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, is death. And I wonder if those of you who are sitting here this evening who have not come to faith in Christ realize that. Until you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. There is no life apart from Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 10, again, Jesus says, The thief thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life that Jesus has procured for us through his death is an eternal life. But not only are we looking forward to eternal life after our death, that we will live with God forever, but also he gives meaning to our life this side of eternity as we are made new, as we are made alive in Christ. We are no longer spiritually dead. We have fellowship with God right here, right now. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He gives us the ability to understand his word. And he changes us, he sanctifies us, he cleanses us, making us more and more like Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2 For me to live is Christ and die is gain. Is to you to live Christ. Is your whole life structured around Jesus Christ? Is your life dependent upon Jesus Christ? What does it mean for your life to be Christ? There is no life apart from Christ. Even if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is possible for you to be living distant from him, to be living living without fellowship, without communion with God the Father. And therefore, we know that when we don't have communion with God the Father, we are not really living truly as we ought to. For we are most alive when we are alive in him. That is not to say that we are losing our salvation, but we do go through seasons of backsliding. We do go through seasons of of drifting away from God by neglecting the means of grace. But to be walking in close communion, in sweet fellowship with our Savior is to be attending to the means of grace, to spend time in prayer and in the word and in fellowship with other believers. So, as we come to a conclusion, let us just briefly consider the second half of the verse that we have looked at, this exclusive claim that Jesus makes. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's what he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, as as we were looking at it through this sermon, We have considered that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have seen that he is sufficient. We need no other way to the Father because the way that has been made for us is the only way. We need no further revelation because what has been given to us is sufficient for us for life and godliness. It is sufficient to make us wise unto salvation. We need no other Savior because there is no life apart from Christ. And so in seeing that we see how Christ is sufficient but we also see that there is no other way to God the Father and to do that is to pervert is to pervert what God has revealed to us both explicitly and implicitly if we look for other ways if we look for other things that will satisfy us and give us meaning in life if we begin to entertain other truths that contradict the scriptures, then we are denying the truths that we find in these verses. And so I close with a verse from Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let us close in prayer. Our dear God and Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world and was revealed to us. His, his glory made manifest to us through his life, through his death on the cross, and ultimately in his resurrection. We thank you that you have made a way for us where there was no other way. We thank you that through Jesus Christ we have access into the presence of God. And Lord, we pray that you would even use this message, even use this text that has been preached this evening to those who do not yet know you, that you would bring them to yourself, that you would draw them closer to yourself. But for the believer, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would enable us to walk in a life of godliness, to walk in a life of obedience to you and independence upon you. Thank you for this good news. Thank you for this joyful gospel, this good news that we have life through you alone. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.